come up here anxious about what we're going to say as we talk about politics together. Because I'm not here this morning to convince any of you that you should side either with the Republicans or the Democrats. I'm not here to convince you to become a fan of Barack Obama or Donald Trump. I'm not here this morning to convince you to, to be for or against a balanced budget or for or against universal health care or for or against a wall on our southern border. I am here this morning to remind every single one of us that before we are Republican or Democrat, and before we are even Americans, and before we pledge our allegiance to any political perspective or political party or policy, we absolutely must pledge our allegiance to our God and His Son, Jesus Christ. We absolutely must be committed to letting the Holy Spirit of God shape our political minds and political hearts and our political words. We absolutely must let what we think and what we do and what we say and how we vote be led above all else by the purposes and the values and the principles of the truth of God in Jesus Christ. We must remember that we are, first of all, citizens of the kingdom of God above all else. Our journey through the Belgic Confession has brought us right into this topic. Right? As Reformed Christians, we are called to participate in every aspect of life. Right? That's what it means to be Reformed. We engage this world. Every square inch belongs to Him. Every piece of our society belongs to God. And He calls us to be engaged with every area for His purposes. And our challenge this morning is to ask ourselves how we as Christians then relate to and interact with this whole world of politics. Right, the civil authorities and the governments that guide us and rule over us. And, and it's challenging because we as Christians, we hold dual citizenships. We are citizens of this earthly country, and we are citizens of the kingdom of God. How do we balance those? How do we hold those two things together? How do we make our decisions then and form our opinions how does God want us to interact with the politics of our day that can, that can be so confusing, so muddled, so frustrating sometimes? That's our question. And God, God does talk specifically about how we as Christians relate to earthly governments. Right? And while we may not be surprised by what we read this morning, because we've probably read it before, we may be challenged in a surprising way when we learn how to actually put it into practice. So take out your Bibles with me. Turn to Romans chapter 13, page 920 in the Bibles you have in front of you there. Romans 13. Here in this chapter, the Apostle Paul is speaking to Christians who live in the city of Rome, who are more than anybody else in their culture probably, facing this tension between civil authority and civil government and God's authority. Right? They live in the city of Rome. 
right? Rome, which is the center of power at the time for the whole Western world. They live right in the immediate shadow of Caesar and his palace and his government. And Caesar is the one who considers himself to be God. He's one who, who rules this whole Roman world in less than godly ways. And so their allegiance is being torn between their Roman citizenship and their kingdom of God citizenship. That same tension you and I still live with today. And it's into that tension now that Paul writes this. Start at verse 1 of chapter 13. He writes to them, let everyone be subject to the governing authorities. Remember, he's talking about Caesar there. Let everyone be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Consequently, whoever rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted. And those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers hold no terror for those who do right, but for those who do wrong. Do you want to be free from fear of the one in authority? Then do what is right and you will be commended. For the one in authority is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid. For rulers do not bear the sword for no reason. They are God's servants, agents of wrath to bring punishment on, on the wrongdoer. Therefore, it is necessary to submit to the authorities, not only because of possible punishment, but also as a matter of conscience. This is why you pay taxes. For the authorities are God's servants who give their full time to governing. Give to everyone what you owe them. If you owe taxes, pay taxes. If revenue, then revenue. If respect, respect. If honor, then honor. You know, God, God makes a significant shift here in this passage between how these kingdoms, these two loyalties relate to each other. He resets our understanding here to see that, that there aren't two kingdoms laying side by side here, right? The, the civil government and, and the kingdom of God. He says, really, there's this one kingdom that we need to pay attention to. He starts off right away in verse 1 with that. He says, there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. So there are not two kingdoms for us to wrestle with. One authority has been established by the other. One has been given priority by the other. That means, that means there's only one kingdom. It's the kingdom of God. That has priority. Over the last few years, we've heard the phrase about the two words, America first. Right? America first. America first. As Christians, when we hear that, we need to immediately think, wait, wait a minute. Not for me. For me, it's not America first. For me, it's God's kingdom first. It's kingdom first instead of America first. There is just one kingdom, and it's God's. All our earthly leaders... Whatever title they may claim, from president to governor, emperor, dictator, prime minister, king, whatever title that might be, they are all subordinates to God. 
Their kingdoms are all subordinate to God's kingdom. Okay, and that fact then demands certain responsibilities of us as citizens. Our first responsibility, one that we don't like to hear from Paul, is that we are called to submit. To submit means that we willingly place ourselves under someone else's leadership. It's defined as, as consent to abide by the opinion or authority of another. And you and I don't like that. You and I don't like to submit. We like to live by our own opinions. We like to exert our own authority. And yet, I find it interesting in, in the passage we just read, the, the big first paragraph, Paul bookends that whole paragraph, that whole teaching with submission. Right? Verse 1, he starts by saying, let everyone be subject to, you could translate that word submit to, let everyone submit to the governing authorities. And he ends that section in verse 5 by saying, therefore, after all this, Therefore, it is necessary to submit to the authorities. His whole point in that section is submission. And it's not just Paul. Read Peter, 1 Peter chapter 2. Peter says, submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority, whether the emperor as supreme authority or the governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and commend those who do right. Our submission to the earthly authorities over us flows out of our obedience to God. Because remember, God established these authorities beneath him. He gave them authority. So you and I may not like our president. We may not like our governor. We may not like our representatives or our senators. We, we may not have voted for them. We may not like the decisions they make. None of that changes the fact that their position of authority has been established by God and that we are to submit to them. If you doubt that, look at Jesus. Jesus Submitted to, the, submitted to the civil authority. Jesus, the Son of God. He's God himself. He submitted to these earthly authorities. There's a story in Luke chapter 20 where, where Jesus is teaching and the teachers of the law try and trap him. Right? They're always trying to trick him and trap him. And they ask him this question. They say, is it right for us to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Okay, it's a well-designed trap. Because remember, they're living in Israel. They are, they are a nation that's being being led by Caesar, even though they, they hate Caesar, right? And so if he says, no, we should not pay taxes to Caesar because he's an illegitimate authority, well, then they could have him arrested by the Roman authorities. That's an arrestable offense. That's treason. But if he says, but if he says yes, we should pay taxes to Caesar, then the Jews would call him a traitor, and he'd lose all his following. So in reply, Jesus says this, he says, show me a denarius, a coin, a Roman coin. Whose image and inscription are on it? Caesar's, they replied. And he says to them, then give back to Caesar what is Caesar's and give to God what is God's. They were amazed at his answer. But through that, did you see Jesus submits? He said, go ahead, give to Caesar what he, what he deserves. Give him the taxes. Give him, follow the law. 
He's the authority over us. Submit. Now, I think it's not accidental that Paul uses the word submit and not the word obey. There's a difference there, isn't there? We aren't called to mindlessly do everything every authority over us tells us. Jesus didn't, and we're going to look at that in a few minutes. But through it all, we are called to submit to those positions of authority over us. And our actions of submission need to be accompanied by the right attitudes as well. Paul ends this passage by, by commanding us to give what we owe to our leaders. And the examples he lists are not only taxes, as Jesus says, and revenue, but Paul adds in there respect and honor as well. That's what we owe them. We owe them respect. We owe them honor. And that's an area that my guess is you and I and us as a culture in general have a lot of room to grow in. Because we have made, we have made entertainment to disrespect and dishonor our leaders, right? They become the brunt of our jokes. They become the caricatures of our comics. They become the object of our ridicule. God's commanding us here to see our political leaders in the same way that he sees them. In the same way that he sees every person. We may disagree with somebody's political opinion and political view vehemently. That does not change who that person is. That person is someone who is loved and valued deeply by God. That person is someone who God sent his son Jesus to die for. That's how much God loves that person. And that is the foundational attitude and perspective that we need to have for all people, including and maybe especially for those placed by God in positions of leadership. Okay, so with that foundation in place, right, we are citizens of the kingdom of God first. And we are called to respect all people as loved people of God. We have, then we have basic God-given responsibilities as citizens of our nations. We submit to the authorities. We honor them. We respect them. But Paul also makes it clear, right, we have our responsibilities as citizens... He also makes it clear that there's responsibilities that these rulers hold as well. These men and women who have been placed in positions of authority by God. Right? Tucked into verse 4 are the two minimum standards for civil governments acting on God's behalf. Listen to verses 3 and 4 again. It says, Rulers hold no terror for those who do right, but for those who do wrong. Do you want to be free from fear of the one in authority? Then do what's right and you will be commended. For the one in authority is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid. For rulers do not bear the sword for no reason. They are God's servants, agents of wrath to bring punishment on the wrongdoer. Okay. So those who are placed in positions of leadership are called to do two things, Paul says. They're called to promote what is good and punish what is evil. Their calling is to maintain godly justice in our society and in our world. God has given the civil authority 
the civil leaders the authority to create and enact laws that encourage good. And he's given them the power of the sword, or in our days, the power of, of, of the taser and the gun and maybe even the missile and the tank if necessary to enforce those laws, to keep evil in check and to allow goodness to flourish. That's their task. And this is the system that God has created, our governing system. Whatever it looks like throughout the world, these governing systems are not an outgrowth of rebellion in conflict with God. They are a structure designed by God in order to fill out his purposes here on this earth. So as citizens of the kingdom of God first, right? We aren't called then to rebel against all government systems and structures. No. We are to embrace it and to help it work out the purposes of God. We are to be involved in it. Now, our confession, the Belgic Confession, recognizes that same truth. Article 36, which if you're following on the emails, you'll get sent to you tomorrow, is just so, so applicable to what we're dealing with today. Listen to, to how it starts. It says, we believe that because of the depravity of the human race, our good God has ordained kings, princes, and civil officers. God wants the world to be governed by laws and policies so that human lawlessness may be restrained and that everything may be conducted in good order among human beings. For that purpose, God has placed the sword in the hands of the government to punish evil people and protect the good. So when when these governments around us are fulfilling their God-given calling, and when we are submitting and honoring them in the process, this system that God established works exceedingly well to keep evil in check and to promote good. But we all know that's not the way it happens, is it? We live in a world that is seriously broken by sin. We live in a world where motivations of greed and pride and selfishness, they twist this world, they twist our hearts, they twist our minds, often to the point where we can believe that wrong is right and right is wrong. So then what happens when the rulers of this world get it wrong? What happens when the government gets it wrong? What happens when they end up punishing what is good and promoting what is evil? Well, Paul in Romans 13 here is, is assuming that, that these authorities are getting it right. So can we then just ignore his instructions here? Can we ignore his call to honor and submit and respect when their actions stand against the goodness and love and justice that God has called us to? What is our Christian responsibility when the government is wrong? Well, in Romans 13, Paul does not list any exceptions to his commands to submit and respect and honor. There are none. He doesn't say do all those things except when the government's doing that. No, there's none of that. Peter, when he talks about obeying and submitting, he doesn't list any exceptions. But 
there are also absolutely zero exceptions to the obedience that we owe to our ultimate ruler, God. Zero. Our primary responsibility, never forget this, our primary responsibility as Christians is to obey God first of all and to live out his kingdom purposes first of all. Right? So, so Peter, Peter's bold declaration to his rulers of his time should be ours as well. Remember, Peter gets arrested he gets hauled in front of the, the, the rulers of the city he was in because he was teaching and preaching about Jesus. And, and, they, and they put him on trial, and they find that there's no way that, that they can really arrest him or throw him in prison for any. He hasn't broken the law. But they, so they pull him in front, and they say, we're going to let you go, but you need to promise that you will stop talking about Jesus. You need to promise to stop doing this Jesus thing you're doing. And remember what Peter says? There's the authority, right? Directly giving the command. And Peter says to them, we must obey God rather than human beings. God is a higher authority. When the commands of the rulers of this world contradict the commands of God, your obedience always defaults to God. You stay true to him. So how in the world do you live that out? How in the world do we live that out today? Right? We as Christians are called to speak truth. We are called to pursue justice, no matter what the consequences might be. We must obey God above all else and be willing to go so far as to die in that obedience. Whether that means, rarely for us, actually giving our lives and actually dying, or whether that means sacrificing along the way, dying to self, dying to our opinions, dying to our, our ease because we're living in obedience to God. Either way, we obey God above all else and live out the consequences. We get pictures of people doing that all throughout Scripture. They aren't hard to find. Look at Daniel. Remember the story of Daniel in the Old Testament? Daniel in exile from Israel, living in Babylon, right? And he gets hauled to Babylon, and he's very successful there. He gets involved in politics, and he's so successful that Daniel becomes second in command behind Darius, the king of Babylon, the pagan king of Babylon. That's how involved in politics Daniel is. He's number two. It's all going well, serving this, in this pagan government, until Darius commands that nobody in his kingdom can bow down and worship or pray to anybody else but him. Until Darius claims that he is God. And he says to everybody, including Daniel, if you bow down, if you pray to any other God, it's the lion's den for you. What in the world is Daniel going to do? He can't obey that. He puts God first. God's command comes first, right? So in response, Daniel doesn't start a revolt in Babylon. Daniel doesn't resign his position in the, in the government. And Daniel doesn't plan a demonstration in, this, in the streets of Babylon. We get to read what Daniel does. Just like he did every day before, Daniel goes home at the appointed hour and he prays. He prays to the one true God, even though he knows people are watching even though he knows it's against this command, he stays faithful and obedient to God. And you know what the consequences were? 
He knew what the consequences were. He knew that he was going to get thrown in the lion's den, and he did. And because of his faithful obedience and God's miraculous rescue, Darius' heart was changed. Daniel obeyed God above earthly leaders. Look at Paul in the New Testament. Perfect example in the New Testament world, right? He lived out exactly what he wrote here in Romans 13. He submitted to the authorities of Rome as a Roman citizen, but he refused to be disobedient to his true king, God. So when he too was commanded to stop talking about Jesus, he told them that he couldn't and he wouldn't because God told him to. And you know the story of Paul. As a result, he's arrested. He spends the last years of his life in prison and is ultimately beheaded, executed. And through his obedience, God has changed the world. Look at Jesus Christ himself. Jesus was hauled in front of Pilate, a Roman governor, an illegitimate Roman governor at that. This is God, the King of kings and Lord of lords, submitting himself to a, a cheap imitation of what authority should look like. And Jesus honors and respects Pilate's authority, but he obeys God. And the consequences for him were a cross. The cross that changed eternity for you and me that pattern that lifelong pattern of submitting and honoring to the earthly authorities while boldly obeying God and accepting the consequences whatever they might be is a very practical life-shaping call to you and to me still today right it's amazing to me this Belgic confession lays it out so nicely for us, written 500 years ago, right? Remember how it was written. Remember the context. We talked about it five weeks ago. The Belgian Confession was written by a man named Guido de Bray in 1561 while he lived under the abusive rule of King Philip II. Okay, King Philip II, if, if anyone had reason to rage against an unjust civil government, Debray did, because King Philip is going around using his power and authority to persecute and kill reformers just like him. If anybody should, should be saying, be saying, forget this government, it should have been Debray. But listen to what he writes. In the middle of his persecution, he writes this. He says, everyone, regardless of status, condition, or rank, must be subject to the government. To King Philip II must be subject to government and pay taxes and hold its representatives in honor and respect and obey them in all things that are not in conflict with God's word. Praying for them that the Lord may be willing to lead them in all their ways and that we may live a peaceful and quiet life in piety and decency. Amazing. Instead of raging against this king, he submits to him, honors him, respects him, prays for him. But he obeys God. His message to the king, along with this confession, was that he and his fellow Reformed Christians were ready to obey the government in all lawful things, but they would offer their backs to stripes, their tongues to knives, 
their mouths to gags and their whole bodies to the fire rather than deny the truth expressed in this confession. That's exactly what happens. In the end, Debray is led to, a, to his execution because he's obedient to God. You want a modern-day example? We celebrated a modern-day example of this pattern just last month. Martin Luther King Jr. Day, right? Martin Luther King Jr. who led the cause to tear down the injustice of racism in America. And how did he lead that cause? He didn't lead the charge by calling people to subvert the government. He didn't call for them to dishonor the leaders. He called for people to obey God and to accept the consequences. He lived out a kingdom-first perspective as a citizen of the kingdom of God living in a broken nation, even though it cost him his life. And the nation began to change. Now we as Christians, as followers of Jesus Christ, you and I are called to bring transformation to every part of this world, including politics. But we play the political game differently. Instead of backroom deals, instead of mudslinging slander, instead of half-truths and lies, instead of partisan hatred and political battles, you and I are called to live lives of obedience to God no matter the consequences. You and I are called to be the bold voice of God calling out for goodness and justice and righteousness and love in our society. So, so we, read, we read Peter's call to submit to authorities earlier. He goes on in that passage to say this. He says, It is God's will that by doing good you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. Live as free people, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as God's slaves. As God's slaves. Show proper respect to everyone. Love the family of believers. Fear God. Honor the emperor. I love that first line. It is God's will that by doing good, by doing good, you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. Into this world of politics, you and I are called to let our goodness, our godliness, silence the foolishness of men and women. So we're called to be engaged in the political conversations all around us what it means to be a reformed Christian, right? But this book, you aren't going to magically open it and say, tell me how I should vote. And it tells you exactly how to vote. It doesn't tell you exactly which party to promote. It doesn't tell you exactly where to stand on every political issue. But this book, it gives you and it gives me a very, very clear command to look at all of our political choices, to make all of our political decisions, 
to shape all of our opinions through the filter of God's truth in his word. It consciously calls us to put God's kingdom first and to look at at everything through the filter of his truth. So you name the issue. You name the issue. You can even pick the hottest, most divisive issues of our day. Immigration. DACA. The question is, where do you stand after reading God's commands on how we treat neighbors and strangers and how we enforce the law? The economy. Taxes. Where do you stand after reading God's commands about selfishness and generosity? Abortion. Where do you stand after reading God's commands to respect and value life and to work for justice? Health care. Where do you stand after reading God's commands to care for each other, to, to care for the sick and the poor? Environmental issues. Where do you stand after reading God's commands to you both use this creation and to care for this creation? You name the issue. As kingdom first citizens, we let God's word shape every opinion, direct every action. And then we courageously stand for him and we stand for his purposes. You and I, we need to recognize that we are citizens of a great country. And for that, we should be extremely grateful. You and I, we must realize even more importantly that we are citizens of an even greater kingdom. The kingdom of God. And so we pledge our allegiance to God above all else above country, above political party, above our favorite politician, above any policy. It's kingdom first. It's God first. And that's where we stand, no matter the cost. Pray with me, would you? Father, we are your kingdom people here this morning. And we are so grateful that we know that your kingdom is coming. That your kingdom is here. We're so thankful for the ways that goodness and justice and mercy and love have shaped our daily lives and have shaped our world. We're so grateful for the restoration that you have already begun to bring to our broken and fallen world. And we ask, Father, that you would continue to use us, or maybe begin to use us, to make us willing to be used by you for your kingdom purposes. Forgive us for the times when we have placed our personal opinions above your desire. Forgive us when we have failed to filter our own thoughts and our own discernment process through your word. It's so tempting to rely on our own wisdom, on our own preferences, when we're discerning these major issues and topics of our day. 
But Father, please don't let us discern anything without looking through your word, without searching out your truth, without hearing your calling to us first and foremost. Father, make us kingdom people. And as kingdom people, make us good citizens of the nation you put us in. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. We're going to take our offerings this morning. Our offerings are for both church ministries as we minister within Ivan Rest Church and for our first fruits commitment.